Good afternoon and welcome to Let's Talk. The pastor is in. I'm program host Kip Allen. Now the talk program here, it's, it's for Christian laymen. The Lutheran believes but has questions. In short, the program is designed for, well, someone just like me. There's a lot I don't understand. Not necessarily soul-shaking, it might just be something that's been bugging me for a while. And I find that rather than getting into a deep chapter and verse theological discussion, a, a casual front porch style talk with a pastor is the best way to understanding. And that's what this program is all about. Today's guest is Andrew Preuss, pastor of St. Paul and Trinity Lutheran Churches in Iowa. Now I have my questions and I'm sure you have yours. You can send your questions by email at any time to letstalk at kfuo.org. Or you can call into the program if you're in the St. Louis area, including Metro East. The number is 314-8210-850. Or anywhere toll-free in North America at 1-800-730-2727. Pastor Preuss, welcome to the front porch. Hey, good to be here again. Well, we really had some rainfall yesterday, but finally it's let up a little bit, so... Oh, that's good to hear. Well, it is. Yeah, I guess we've been kind of... It's been a pretty wet wet summer for us over here yeah i remember those days up in iowa it was a iowa was an interesting place to be <laughs> it was it, it was just about as flat as possible i remember that and uh we had a uh, in the the station where i worked on in the newsroom we had a uh poster showing this guy on skis breaking through a haystack and the caption reads ski iowa <laughs> We actually, <laughs> we actually have someone in, in my newsroom uh, who she used to take her annual vacation during winter time so she she could go hiking and camping. <laughs> yeah, she's in yeah. one of these Nordic skiing types and loved. Uh, oh, I just it, it's just bonkers to me. Yeah, well, you know where I grew up in uh, northwestern Minnesota, um, that's where it's really flat. And uh, actually, it's funny it's where I live right now in. Uh, in Iowa, I live around in Mississippi, and I'm surrounded by bluffs. Mm. So it's it's not flat at all where I live right now. Um, so, the, but and uh, and and even the you know the flattest parts of Iowa, which I totally know what you're talking about. I don't know if they're quite as flat even as uh, up in up in the Red River Valley of the North. That's where you could just drive and drive and fall asleep and wake up and get out. <laughs> yeah. yeah, my dad used to say it was miles and miles of miles and miles. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the, the other thing I remember from uh, from Des Moines, we, uh, do, you, do you recall, is it still up there, Mount Bandini? Mount Bandini? Yeah. Uh, no, that doesn't ring a bell. Okay. Well, Bandini is the main fertilizer company up there. Okay. <laughs> and Mount Bandini was this huge pile of Second-hand um, cow food. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they used to do these series of commercials <laughs> showing people climbing Mount Bandini going, man goes where only cow has been. <laughs> oh, <that's gross>. <laughs> <laughs> and they even had a ski Mount Bandini commercial. I remember that's a guy trying to ski down the mountain. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> <laughs> so. Oh, yeah, I got, I got used to the smell when I went on Ragbri, uh about 11 years ago, or no, that was longer than that, 13 years ago. And I was, uh, I actually didn't really mind the smell that much anymore. Um, but, uh, you know, 
to each his own, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, snow is one thing. Whiteouts are something else again. Blizzards are something. You know, I remember yeah. you know, that wind would come in, and there was nothing to stop it from coming in over the Arctic Circle except for some strands of barbed wire and frozen cattle carcass. <laughs> yeah, oh. that's right. <laughs> oh, I the first time I was ever in a whiteout. I was at, actually I was at a, uh, a parking lot of a uh, of a supermarket, and it was so intense I lost the horizon. I literally could not see the end of my hand when it was outstretched. That's incredible! Wow. Yeah, yeah that's uh, yeah. Really, you know, those those kind of things make you fear God. Oh yeah. You never know. You never know what. Uh, you know, you never know what the weather's going to be like, and so that's uh, how it goes. Oh, they they fool us all the time. Yeah. Well, I wanted to um, let you uh, talk to you about something that's been on my mind a little bit. Now, I know, as a layman, as a parishioner, uh, if I have a spiritual problem or really almost any kind of a of a question, you know, I mm-hmm. can I can go to my pastor. And I, you know, I'm saying to myself, now this this is the person who really knows theology, gone through all everything, and and knows the answers. But you know, when you think about it, you're you're still under underneath all the all the training and all the background and everything. You're still just just a human being as a pastor. And yeah. surely, do pastors have the same crises of of spirit that? we have sometimes and if so what do you do when a pastor needs a pastor well that's a good question um yeah the answer is yes we certainly do uh that in fact you could argue that we even we might even have it more often um that uh you know we're we're always we can't really ignore uh unless we're being unfaithful to our uh to our office we can't we're not, we can't ignore the realities of sin and death and hell and judgment um, because part of our job is to be reading the Bible on a regular basis. And, you know, that's what you, you see uh, a lot in the Bible. You hear that a lot in the Bible about, about uh, judgment. And, uh, and so you, you, you can't, again, if you're, if you're, you got to either, not believe that the Bible's true or not read it. Um, yeah, to be a pastor and not suffer this uh, duress of, uh, of, the, of the conscience. So what, what I know when I was in seminary, what they, they told us, they kind of, you know, they warned us about this. And they told us that we should uh, find, find uh, what they call a father confessor, um, which is another pastor and, and uh, who you can go to and uh, talk things through and and even confess your sins to them and, and receive absolution and uh, and and just go you know study with them uh, hear counsel from him and they usually suggest that this not be uh, someone you know not be an ecclesiastical supervisor uh, like your like your uh, district president or sort of visitor that he not be someone who's in your circuit, but preferably someone who, you know, you don't have necessarily uh, day by day or, or month by month uh, um, kind of official business with, but someone who's maybe maybe a pastor in another neighboring circuit who you trust. And uh, and so that's what I did. Um, I didn't do it right away, but probably about nine months in, I was kind of, you know, feeling 
uh, a lot of pressure uh, in, in the pastoral office. And, uh, you know, to, it's easy for pastors to take everything on themselves, um, on their own shoulders. Uh, and there's so many different reasons for that. I mean, the pastor wants to make sure that things are done according to the Word of God. And so that's, that's uh, sometimes pastors react in different ways, and sometimes pastors take things on themselves. Sometimes they get, they neglect stuff uh, because they're just, you know, they're overwhelmed. And often it's a combination of both. And so what, what I finally realized is that I needed a, a pastor for myself. And so that's what I found. And uh, so I get together uh, probably three times a month, two, three times a month, with a neighboring pastor about an hour away, and we study the the text for the uh, upcoming uh, Sunday in the original language, and we we study together. and uh, And I don't always uh, have, go through confession with them, but once in a while, I I go through confession with them and uh, tell them what things have been bothering me, and receive absolution and instruction from them. So. So definitely, those are. That's a very important thing for pastors to to have, and and, uh, and it's good for parishioners to recognize that too. That the pastor is not just he's not some CEO, clock in clock out kind of guy. He's a spiritual father, and he needs one too. <laughs> so, <laughs> and I should imagine that the um, the pressures on a pastor are, are somewhat alien to the rest of us. Uh, you know, we look up to the man up there in the pulpit. And you are, as you pointed out, you know, you're you're on 24-7. Mm-hmm. And uh, the pressure has got to build up. Everything from, gee, did I do that sermon right? Did I misinterpret that, that, that verse? Did I give that person the proper advice? Yep. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> oh, absolutely. I mean, this is one thing that I miss about being a layman. And, and I think that I can still have this, and this is, I think I just need to put more concentration and prayer into, re, into kind of getting this back. Um, but is the, 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 um, the, the sense of calm and peace when you're in the Lord's house, gathered with his saints, singing hymns, hearing the word of God, you know, that that's, when I, when I was in seminary, I was so excited to get up in the pulpit and, you know, get go get in the lectern and do the liturgy and you know, uh, and preach and all that. And I was not nervous about it. I mean, it was I maybe had a little bit of nerves, but some guys would get really nervous. I just wasn't. I'm all I've always been kind of an extrovert, and you know, and 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 uh, you know, I I was excited to go and do that kind of stuff. And uh, and of course, I wanted to make sure that I was that I knew what I was saying. And uh, then I probably would have been nervous, but I would prepare for my sermons, you know, so, you know, especially on Vickers, you know, I preached once a month usually. And so I would start preparing my sermon weeks in advance. and I'd be so excited to preach it. And, and, uh, and so, but once, you know, I think when I became a pastor, uh, I start to realize that, huh, you know, you got, you actually are, you got some responsibilities here. It's not just a matter of going up there in the pulpit and, and delivering some awesome sermon, and people are going to compliment you for it and say, "Oh, good job, young man! You're going to be a great pastor." Well, no, now you are a pastor. So, what are you going to do? You got to you you got to be concerned about what people are. I mean, when I preach, I'm thinking about what are people uh, what are people hearing 
Are they understanding this? There are specific people I have in mind, you know, who I know might be struggling with certain things that I'm trying to address in a very clear way. Um, and that I'm also at the same time not trying to try not to, you know, uh, single anyone out or, you know, but, but also just be clear. And, and then other things might come, you know, maybe there's a visitor and I say, you know, I, t- I have like two minutes maybe to talk to the visitor and uh, I talk to him and, and I, you know, I might be second guessing things that I said or how I said it, you know, so all that stuff comes to mind and it, it kind of, I, I don't want to say it ruins it, but it, it makes it quite different of an experience in, in the Sunday worship. You know, I'm, I'm thinking of a million things at once. And so, and that another, so you bring up a good point there, you know, that, that that's another reason why a pastor just, he really needs to get together with either another pastor who can be his pastor, um, uh, give him pastoral care, or just other pastors, you know, just other brother pastors to study together, talk together, have a beer together, you know, and just just uh, go, you, can, you know, talk about the things that, that, that concern them. And and that's, that's that, that, uh, that brotherhood of, of pastors is uh, very important. And it's, it's probably the worst thing for a pastor to shut himself off from the rest of the brethren. I can see that. Um, and, and I think, you know, one of the heaviest burdens, I think, that you have to bear, you and your brother pastors, is the knowledge that the spiritual well-being of many people is going to be impacted by what you do and what you say and how you act. That is an awesome responsibility. Mm-hmm. Oh, it certainly is. And, I, you know, I always knew that as a textbook kind of answer, right? I always knew that, that, yeah, that's a great responsibility. I'm going to be judged, you know, held accountable for, for what God has given me here. And yet it's not really until you're in it that you, it really kind of, at least for me, that it really just kind of hit me like, yeah, that's, that's true. And that probably, and, and this probably isn't a bad thing. <laughs> Um, that uh, this probably causes me more angst than anything else. And yet, see, it's a good thing that this is that this would cause me angst or any pastor angst, because it also then is what should give a pastor great comfort to know that you're accountable to God. Should cause both fear as, uh, as well as trust in the heart. You know that that you fear God. You learn to fear Him. You learn to respect the office that He's given you and take it seriously. Um, but then you learn not to fear man and not to, not to be so worried about what other people are saying and what, how other people are judging you. And that, but that you just be faithful to the word of God. And you know, that God is, is promises to be with you through his son, Jesus Christ and his Holy spirit. And, and he'll, he'll, and that he forgives you your sins. And, you know, and I think that's something that uh, it's important for a pastor to get together with other pastors and to have spiritual care from other pastors so that he can remember his first love that the reason why he wanted to be a pastor in the first place was because he heard the gospel from a pastor, you know, and, and he shared it with his friends and, uh, in Christ. And, uh, and that, that, that the gospel, the forgiveness of sins, is why I wanted to be a pastor in the first place. And it's very easy to get distracted from that um, with, uh, you know, w- when you're actually in the harness. I imagine it would be. Um... And I'm trying to think also of what would be some of the some of the really bad things that might happen. For example, 
I think you, I, I'm, I'm speculating here, I don't know if this is the case, but I'm sure it's happened to many, many pastors, is you lose a congregate, not that they have passed on and died, but that they have lost their faith and gone away. What a horrible feeling of of failure to 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 bring God's love to this person. It must be devastating. Yeah. Yeah, those are the worst. I hate those. Um and it's it's those are you know, then then you know, you have uh you have especially the ones who you've brought through instruction and uh and then and even baptized. Mm-hmm. And then they just kind of they fall away, and it's uh, you know you think well was all that work in vain, and you know that 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 it's and it's sad also obviously that um, that they have rejected the truth the gospel that you love so much and uh, you know one of the things that uh, that um, you know, that we should remember about the gospel, and this this goes for pastors and, and and faithful Christians alike, is that you know it, it kind of it makes you foolish before the world when you love the gospel, because you know it's like you know it's, imagine that kid at school who's you know he's kind of he's kind of weird you know he's not he's not really going to be one of the popular kids and. And he's just obsessed with, like, his video game. You know, I mean, he's got some video game that he plays, and he's just obsessed with it. You know, and, 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 and people are just kind of, you know, they, they, they don't necessarily, you know, pick on him. Maybe some people do, but everyone basically kind of agrees, at least in their mind, that he's just kind of a dork, and he's kind of weird, and he just is obsessed with his stupid video game. And, you know, good for him, but I don't really want to be around him, you know. That's how it is. <laughs> that's, that's how it is for Christians. Um, often, and that's how that's how I think a pastor often feels um, that here you are so into this this Jesus guy, this God and Savior, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know you're all religious. That's cool, you know, but but you know you're kind of you're kind of a fanatic, you know, you're kind of you're kind of strange. You're just all obsessed with it and stuff, and and this is why I'm convinced that it's this insecurity which I've felt. And I think that any pastor has felt because you, you, you really feel how the gospel that you were sent to preach is countercultural. And that's why I think a lot of guys out of, out of insecurity then cave in and start kind of pandering to things that the world wants. And it might be, you know, it might be caving in on their doctrine or on just maybe they're just, they say, well, let's just make church more into just kind of a fun kind of gathering and not so much, uh, you know, not so much talking. We'll still keep our doctrine, but we'll just kind of put that in the back. And the real thing that we that we uh, use to attract people will be, you know, big events and cool, you know, gatherings and you know, fun stuff. And and I think it's because this is it's it it's a tough thing to not be liked or to not be respected or to not be wanted. And so when someone falls away, that kind of confirms that more. And I think that adds to the temptation. God works through it to teach us to trust in his word and not to look to the outward appearances um, as the evidence of our faith. Well, I think some of the best advice I've ever received from, from uh, pastors is that, you know, as, as, as this program says, there's a lot I don't understand. But there, you can not understand but still believe yeah, and I think that there's a lot of people don't quite get over that hump. 
And, you know, I know it, it was with me for a while. You know, so, gee, I don't understand this, therefore it's not true. No, well, no, wait a minute. And the more I look at it, the more for some reason, and I can't explain why, uh, Pastor, is that the more I look at it, the more convinced I am that it is true, and yet the less I understand it. Yeah. <laughs> does that make sense? <laughs> yeah. No, yeah, that does. That makes really good sense. It dovetails really well with what I was trying to say there about being a fool. Because when you're a fool before the world, you're a fool before yourself, too. And that's something that I think is is uh, important to, to realize, is that, you know, when I say, when the Bible says the world, it's not talking about necessarily individual people. It's not necessarily talking about your next-door neighbor. Um, it's talking about the spirit of the world, the way that the world thinks as a, as a spiritual kind of being. And it's important for us to remember that our sinful flesh is in line with the world as well. And so is the devil. The devil, Jesus calls him the ruler of this world. So, so you know, when, when, you, when you consider that, well, I, yes, I believe it, I'm more convinced of it. My faith is strengthened, and yet there's a part of me that understands it less and less. And I think that that understanding that you're referring to is not the understanding of your faith. It's the understanding of the flesh, and your flesh is, beca- is, 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 is dying, Right. That's, and that's a good sign. Um, then uh, this doesn't mean that you don't grow in understanding um, in, in, your, in, in your new man. But see, that growing in understanding of your new man really uh, uh, amounts to recognizing more and more the, the, uh, the mystery, the great wonder of the mystery of God mm. and his word. And... Um, and so, I mean, of course, you know, you, you grow and understand that you learn Bible passages more. You learn kind of how they, how they apply to your life and, uh, and, and all that, how they give you comfort in many different angles. And that's all part of understanding. But, but it's not. But as far as trying to figure God out, now that's what, that's what natural man wants to do. And that God isn't going to let you do that. And so that is, I think, is the part where you're, you're understanding less, but that's probably a good thing that you're, you're really, it's like, you know, you're becoming a fool that you may become wise. And that's how the word works. So, and pastors should experience that and, and, and strong Christians, um, Christians as they grow in their faith, I mean, um, experience that as well. So, which is why we need that constant care from God's word, whether you're a pastor or, or a parishioner. Well, consider, for example, the Nicene Creed. You're reading through that, and there's a lot of it that just, from a, from a human, reasonable human point of view, there's a lot of it that just doesn't make sense. It was incarnate by the Holy Spirit. Huh? Or, we worship all three, but they're one. And these are things that, this is part of that that mystery that you were talking about or the wonder but it's beyond the, the understanding of mankind and i think this is part the part of of faith where it comes in here is that we don't have to understand it to believe it we don't have to understand it to know that it is true yeah well here's the here's the here's the difference god doesn't care if we understand things mathematically um or geometrically He's, that's not his concern. He's not his. He is not. He he is not interested in giving us a metaphysical or physical understanding. What he is interested in is giving us a theological 
understanding. And that's what he gives us. So when you take the Trinity, for example, it is not God's intention that you would be able to understand how you can have three persons in one essence um, and uh, have one God yet three distinct Father, Son, Holy Spirit. God is not, he does not reveal that to us, so he does not, have, so he, it is not, it is therefore not his will that we understand how that is. But what God does want us to understand is that the Father has always loved the Son. The Son has always loved the Father, and the Holy Spirit has always proceeded from the Father and the Son in perfect love. And this is how the Scriptures describe it, especially in John's Gospel, we see it that way. You know, and, and he also wants us to understand that no one knows the Father except through the Son, except through what the Son does, that is, to save us from our sins, to, to, to take on our sins, and, uh, and, 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 and bear the wrath of God in our place, and then therefore to give us His Holy Spirit and His Gospel and His sacraments. You know, those are the things that God wants us to understand in a theological way, not in a, in a mathematical way, like how, do, so how, how can water do such great things? Um, and then try to like figure out in sort of a you know philosophical sense how the water and the word can work together and do no, he simply wants us to know and understand that the word of God combined with the water saves us through the power of Christ's resurrection because that's what the Bible says and so that's so the more you understand that the less you understand it according you know the less your uh, your your natural reason understands, and that's a good thing because that's your natural reason really being crucified. Yeah. So, yeah. I saw a bumper sticker the other day that said, "The Bible says it. I believe it. That settles it." Yeah. So. And, and and think about that. I mean, look, put yourself in the shoes of a skeptic. That guy sounds like a complete fool. Yeah. What a moron! What really? You just believe a book? And that's just, that's how that's how you're seen. So. <laughs> Well, let's talk about it after the uh, break here that's coming up at the bottom of the hour, because I think we're hitting some really interesting topics here. We'll be back right up to these, uh, these messages. KFUO Radio salutes our day sponsors on this Friday, August 31st, 2018. Today's day sponsors are Bert and Suzanne Hilmer. Today's day sponsors have made a contribution to Worldwide KFUO Radio in praise to the Lord for His many blessings and His ever-present mercy and grace. Once again, we say thank you to Bert and Suzanne Hilmer of St. Louis, Missouri. Today's Worldwide KFUO Day Sponsors. How do we love our neighbor on the internet? Why are the creeds so important? What does it mean to practice Christian hospitality? Questions like these are answered in every edition of The Lutheran Witness, the monthly magazine of the LCMS. The Lutheran Witness can help you interpret the world from a Lutheran Christian perspective by providing reliable, biblical reflections on the issues that you care about the most. Get your free issue at cph.org witness. That's cph.org witness. 
Hi, this is Pastor Matt Youngblood-Clark. And this is Pastor Jolly John Lukomsky. Matt, I'm trying to think what would be a good theme verse for uh, wrestling with the basics, like John 3.16? or. Well, I think I've got one, John. Yeah? Uh, how about Acts 2, verse 15? What is it? For these people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only 9 in the morning. That's perfect. All right, now, there's no time for foolishness. Wrestling, wrestling with, with the, the basics. 9.05 Saturday mornings on KFUO. Where we take God's word seriously, but we don't take ourselves too seriously. This is the day which the Lord has made. For the lonely and homebound, for the grieving and dying, and for all those who are afflicted in body, mind, and spirit, especially for Join us for a live broadcast of Chapel at the LCMS International Center weekdays at 10 a.m. on KFUO. Puritan writer John Bunyan, one of England's most famous writers, died August 31, 1688, leaving behind a significant work of English literature, The Pilgrim's Progress. Bunyan's allegory about a man named Christian is instructed by a man named Evangelist and encounters many trials in his pilgrimage to the celestial city, illustrating biblical concepts with names like faithful, crafty, little faith, vanity, and others. The Pilgrim's Progress is believed to be the second most printed book of all time behind the Bible, influencing literary giants such as Charles Dickens, Mark Twain, C.S. Lewis, and John Steinbeck. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, renowned 19th century English preacher, known as England's Prince of Preachers, said, Next to the Bible, the book I value most is John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. Brought to you by Museum of the Bible. Well, welcome back to Let's Talk. The Pastor is in. I'm program host Kip Allen, and the pastor today is Andrew Preuss from St. Paul and Holy Trinity Lutheran Churches in Iowa. We are discussing when a pastor needs a pastor. If you have some questions or something that you'd like to say, give us a call. In the St. Louis area, that's area code 314-8210-850, or anywhere in North America, toll-free at 1-800-730-2727. Sorry about that. I misread the bloody thing. Got to get my glasses fixed. <laughs> so, here we go. Uh, you know, you hit upon something where, you know, I can walk down the street... And people will look at me or not look at me, and they won't have the faintest idea about who or what I am. But you, for example, when you're wearing a clerical, there suddenly you're standing out like a sore thumb. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure some of these people, like like you have said, will look and say, gosh, what a fool. Mm-hmm. Is this something that weighs on you? Are, I mean, are you acutely aware when you go out in public wearing a clerical of the reaction of people around you? Yeah. Um, I guess it doesn't really weigh on me as much as it used to. Um, it's, uh, it's part of, you kind of get, it's sort of like wearing new shoes. Um, you know, you got to wear them in. And once you wear them, you know, you kind of, you kind of, you learn to, to, uh, to take it. Um, and you, and you know, you'll, there are times when I, I would say that most of the time if people react, they say, well, hello, Father, and they're very respectful, you know, stuff like that. Um, but, or even some, some know who I am. They say, hi, Pastor. And, um, but I, you know, once in a while, I'll, 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 I'll see some, uh, 
some dirty looks and uh that, but you know it it what it doesn't really i guess it doesn't really bother me as much because i i guess i've just gotten used to it um but there is something to say though um about pastors having to feel that pressure and so it's 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 uh it maybe not the best thing in the world that i don't really feel the pressure as much anymore <laughs> because that could just be kind of like a almost like a, a hardening kind of callousness that uh like i just just don't care um it's good for pastors to to experience um it's good for them to experience honor um from those who are christians who see that they're pastors and uh, they may not be lutheran but you know they 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 appreciate the pastor as a man of god and that and that's a good thing um but it's also a good thing for the for a pastor to receive scorn and uh, because it's good for him. It's good that, for him that's to, an interesting statement. You say it, it, it's important and good for the pastor to receive scorn. Yeah. Uh, can yeah. you unpack that? Well, he needs to learn that he's not working for the world, um, and that uh, that he's working for his Lord Jesus, and that he has been called by Christ, who was rejected by the world. And so... If, uh, you know, and I'm not saying you go out of your way to try to make people not like you. That's, that's, uh, certainly, then, then you're just trying to, you know, manipulate it. But, but you should be, it's good for pastors to recognize the hostility that their office must bear from the world. And, uh, and to, and to, to, to bear it, but rise above it only by means of a conviction of the truth of Christ. And that's the thing is that a pastor should not, there's, you know, so it's good for a pastor to receive scorn, but it's very important how the pastor deals with that. But, you know, if, if I deal with it by just scoffing and saying, yeah, he's just uneducated fools, you know, which probably <laughs> is true, you know, for a lot of them. Um, but see, I can't just boast in my, in my learning and my degree. I need to boast in the Lord. I need to boast in the, in the truth of the gospel that I know from the scriptures and that I've been called to teach in a simple way. And, um, and then to have, and then you learn to have compassion even on those who, who do look at you kind of, you know, kind of weird or, 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 or are disrespectful or, um, or, or hold you in contempt. Um, so that, and, and, and part of the pastor, it's another reason why it's good for a pastor to bear that is also for the sake of his flock. Uh, Paul says that, you know, if we are afflicted, it's for your comfort and, uh, that you learn, you, you, you learn to bear this stuff and then you set an example for the flock and, um, and then they set an example for one another. And it's, uh, it's good to, to, to teach by example um, as much as it is important to teach with the Word of God, it then follows that you teach by example in how you deal with with insults and with um, with ill treatment um, from uh, from the world. And so, and you know, of course, it, it just depends on where you are and and uh, and what God places upon you. I mean, it's, you know, some some pastors bear a heavier load than others, um, but we should always be willing to bear it for the sake of uh, of the faithful. What, as a pastor, is your biggest fear? Um, let's see, as a pastor, my biggest fear is losing my faith. That's my biggest fear. I think I, pr- I probably, uh, and again, I don't think that that's, uh, you know, it's, it's, in a way, it's a bad thing to be afraid of. 
but in a way, it's a good thing to be afraid of because you want to you want to be on your guard. You know, you want to be awake and um, and sober minded and recognize that the devil is prowling around, prowling around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he will devour. Um, that would be probably my biggest fear, or causing others to fall away. Um, so they kind of both go together. So that's uh, and that's what that's what. You know, and it's interesting then how fear, love, and trust kind of work. Is that fear? You can't, you can't really. It's very hard to distinguish within yourself um, the the kind of fear of torment, which John describes in his first epistle, um, which is a bad kind of fear. But then the the true fear of God, um, which includes trust and 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 and, uh, and love. Um, and and so so you know, it's interesting how it works. Then is that the fear. Uh, the fear of God, um, the fear of losing that which God has given you, drives you to the only source that you have uh, to receive that good gift, which is the Scriptures. And, um, you know, and so I'll have, I mean, I think actually just the other night I had this fear, and uh, and I, um, my wife told me to just turn the lamp on and read, you know, I was in bed, and, and she told me to just turn the lamp on and read the Bible, so I just read reading the Bible, and then I just kind of, you know, get to a passage that um, uh, is First uh, Timothy chapter one, you know, where Paul says Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I just kept reading that until I fell asleep. So I mean, th- I mean, that's that I, that doesn't happen all the time, but that does that often is kind of what um, I, I would assume a lot of pastors deal with. That, that uh, I think the worst thing that, and it gets back to what I was saying before, is that. It's because we're reading the Bible all the time, we're teaching it all the time, we're, we're immersed in it, or at least we should be. And when that happens, you can't help but think about all of the spiritual dangers that the Bible talks about. And, uh, and then you experience them to be very real. So, so I'd say falling away um, and causing others to fall away is uh, my, my, my greatest fear. Well, I think we have to bear in mind that you know, the old enemy is always out there. Mm-hmm. And you know, if he leads me astray, well, that's me. But if he leads, say, you astray, that can affect your entire congregation. Exactly. And that's that's partially where this 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 I don't fear. Yeah, I guess that's a, that is the word I want to use. That, sometimes I wish English had uh, a little bit larger vocabulary. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. Well, that word fear in Greek is used in so many so many different angles. I mean, it can. It's even re- referred to as, uh, like in Ephesians 5, uh, at the end of Ephesians 5, where it says, to see to it that a woman respect her husband. Um, the, the, the verb that's used there is, is the, the verb form of the, of the word fear. You know, so actually it could, it could, you could translate it, see to it that a woman fears her husband. But of course, you're not going to translate it as be a, that, see to it that a woman is afraid of her husband. I mean, that's not, the context doesn't allow that. You know, the, the, uh, so, but it, but it still is connected. You know, there's still there's still something to say about fear. You know, my my brother Stephen um, wrote his uh, his STM thesis on this subject of the fear of God and the dis- the difference between the uh, what is called filial fear and the, and what is called servile fear. So filial fear is the fear of a son uh, the son has toward his father, and uh, the servile fear is the fear of a slave the slave would have toward his towards his cruel master and he just tries to run away from him. 
So, and, and, and of course, we both have our old man and our new man. So we have both of these things at the same time. Um, both, both, uh, you know, that, that tormented, servile, slavish fear, but also that, that confident, um, fear of a son, the son has toward his father. And so, uh, and, 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 you know, so when you experience these fears of falling away, of, of causing others to stumble, um, God works good through that. Um, as long as, and he does that by preserving faith in your heart and, uh, increasing your love for him and for others. And, and so, uh, and it's a good thing to go through. Uh, it's not always fun, but it's, uh, but it's, it's good. Well, I, th- I think one thing to recall is that fear is not the same as afraid. Uh, you know, I look at my own father. Uh, my biggest fear was that I would disappoint him. Not that I was afraid of my father. Yeah, but yeah. I did fear that I couldn't live up to his expectations. Yeah, exactly. No, that's that's right. That's uh, and that's exa- that's why the analogy then works well. You know, from uh, um, what is it, Proverbs three, um, and then uh, this is quoted again in Hebrews twelve. You know, uh, do not uh, do not despise the discipline of of the Lord. You know, for He disciplines those whom He loves. He's treating you as sons. And so, yeah, exactly. I mean, I I, I don't want to lose the favor of my father. Um, and, and, and with that, the favor of my, of my brothers and sisters, mm. you know, and, uh, that's, uh, and that's something, you know, and that's why like the old man is so deceitful because the old man can take that fear and turn it into a fear of, of man rather than a fear of God. And it's often hard to distinguish, especially since God works through men. You know, he, he, he uses fathers and mothers. He uses your neighbor. You know, they they, they serve as the, he uses the government, you know, they serve as the space of God. Um, but you, you know, Jesus says, do not fear those who can kill the body, but not the soul. Fear instead God who can, who has the authority to send both to hell. <laughs> and that's, that's a terrifying thing to the flesh, but it's actually a comfort to the Christian because who is that God who has the authority to send Send both body and soul and hell to hell. Um, that's the God who saved you. It's the God who loves you, who sent His only begotten Son into the flesh to die for you. And that's what God wants you. To, going back to the whole understanding thing, that's what God wants you to understand. That's what He wants you to grow in understanding. Um, but the other stuff, like how you're the, the the other kind of carnal understanding, fleshly understanding, it all amounts to. It's all driven by a fear of of uh, um, of man, a fear of this world. And, uh, that's not, uh, and so, I mean, to be honest, sure, I experienced those too, you know, fear the wrath of the person who you have to tell him that he can't commune because he's caught up in sin or, he's, mm. uh, you know, that's, um, that those, was another those, question I was going to ask you, you know, it, it, and this has got to be a horrible thing for a pastor. You can get somebody who's in your congregation who, you know, is a good person or as good as any sinner can be. But, for example, let's say it's uh, somebody who's living with a woman, a man who's living with a woman, and they're not married. And you would have to say, I'm sorry, I cannot commune you. Yeah. That has to be a terrible thing for you to go through. Yeah, it's not fun. It's, uh, it makes it a lot easier, though, when their parents are on board. Um that uh and and when their parents have even talked to them as well because then then i'm not alone um 
I mean, I know I'm never alone because I'm I'm speaking what the Word of God says and mm-hmm. uh, and what the the Church therefore confesses. Um, but uh, but yeah, that that is that is hard, and uh, you know that happens where um, one of the things I think that you learn too with it is that repentance often is a very long process, and um, you know they, they might get angry, uh, but uh, you know they react to God's word with anger. Um, and sadness and all that stuff, but God works through that. And you know, the 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 I was just preaching about this on on Wednesday. I was preaching on the daily lectionary um, from Second Corinthians seven, where he's talking about godly grief. You know, there's worldly grief which leads to death, but there's godly grief which leads to repentance and life. Um, so it's hard, but you know, when you know what repentance is and how, and you know how God's Word works. Mm-hmm. Not that you understand, you know, the, the great mystery of it all, and that you can put it all together, but you do know and you understand that God's Word works death and life, right? It, 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 uh, the law kills and the Spirit makes alive, right? That, that there is this re- repentance and forgiveness of sins that God promises to work through. Um, and when you understand that, it makes it a lot easier to bear but it doesn't, you know. It's still always difficult um, to uh, to deal with uh, with the, especially that situation because it's so prevalent too. You know, yeah. and you almost kind of you almost want to sympathize with them because you know that this is in our culture just such a a, a normal thing to, to 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 move in together and despise marriage and or put it off. Mm-hmm. So. And they may yeah, well be, you know, a, a truly loving relationship. They may even be parents. Yeah, exactly. They might be very, very much in love, devoted to each other, um, as far as outward appearances look. Um, but uh, and that's why a pastor needs to be very confident then in what God's word says. He can't simply be a pragmatist. He's yeah. gotta. He's gotta be confident in what he says. And in order to be confident in in, the, in what he says and the judgments that he must make as a pastor, he needs to be reading his, his Bible constantly. He needs to be going kind of full circle here. He needs to be getting together with other pastors. He needs to receive spiritual care and counsel from others. You know, as uh, Proverbs, uh, oh, I think it's what the Proverbs 13 says, uh, um, with lack of with lack of counsel. Um, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. And uh, that's why a pastor needs to surround himself, um, you know, with good good pastors and get together with good pastors to talk things through with and uh, study God's Word with them. And also surround himself with good good elders, you know, make sure that he can get some good elders in his congregation, if he, who he can, men who he can trust, who they're not in the office, but they can still bear some of it with them, you know, and that's what they're there for. So um, yeah, it's a, it it it's uh, it is hard, but but God doesn't send you in alone. So you you talked about the elders. That 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 interests me a little bit. I've never been really clear on the role of elders within the congregation. How does that function? Well, you know, I think the the reason for that is that it's not it's not really defined um, in the scriptures. Uh, it's it's not. It's not a, a, as clearly defined because it's not instituted by God. It, it's uh, 
it's kind of a necessary thing that we have in order to have uh, some um, uh, have a you know allow the pastor to be able to deal with the people in a more uh, effective way. And so he has men who are leaders in the congregation who uh, assist him in uh, in calling on people um, and uh, in uh, helping out with uh, with with you know, with things that, that, that he has to do in his office that, uh, uh, you know, you know, maybe, uh, for example, if he is, uh, if he's gone, then they kind of, they, they're there to, uh, to help out with, uh, making sure that the, that the, the service goes smoothly, um, for who's ever filling in and that kind of stuff. Also, uh, you know, to kind of be his representatives, um, when he's not able to be there. Um, and, uh, and that, it, you know, when, and then that, what that means then is that you can't just have any guy as an elder. You got to get guys who, who are reading their Bibles, who are coming to Bible class, who are coming to church on a regular basis, who are, who are examples to the rest of the flock, who, who know the confessions of the church, you know, who read their catechism and read their, you know, even read the Oxford Confession and other, other parts of the Book of Concord. I mean, that's, I think those things are very, very important. Um, now and again, it, you know, so, so the the, uh, the the office isn't of elder isn't really concretely defined in the scriptures, but that but at the same time, it, I think if you if you kind of if you understand it as laymen who are leaders in the congregation who help the pastor assist the pastor in in what God has called him to do, um, you start with that, then then you're on the right track. And all this is required to uh, to keep the congregation going and keeping it on the straight and narrow. Uh, <clears throat> I know, for example, here in St. Louis, there's a, a group of uh, pastors I know who meet every Tuesday for Bible study. Okay. And, and I suspect it's like what you were saying, is that they have to constantly remind themselves what the Bible says. It doesn't. It's not enough that they've been through um, seminary. It's not enough that they've been ordained for X number of years. If you don't constantly remind yourself of something, you're going to forget it, or you're going to gloss over it, or you're going to pretend it's not there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and that's, uh, you know, the Word of God, you know, Paul says the faith comes by hearing. And so it's important for pastors to study, to read the Word, and just like it's important, you know, it's also important for every Christian to do that, too, as, as, as much as he's able. But it's so important for them to hear the Word. And when you hear it, um, spoken by someone else, then that confirms it in your mm. mind and in your heart. And so it's important for pastors to study, but they, they again, it's, it's good for them to study with other men, with other pastors, so they can hear hear from them as well. And uh, and I really, I mean, it, that is uh, that is the you know you you may you could be you could go to seminary, be a great student. Know all your stuff, know all the right answers, and um, and then you're prepared. You know, you're really you're as prepared as you can be to be a pastor. But um, it, it 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 doesn't stop there. Uh, pastors need to continue to be taught, not just teach themselves. Um, and I think that's an important distinction. They need to be taught um, continually, and that means humbling themselves to their brother pastors. 
who are in the same office, but Jesus says if anyone looks to the, would think of himself as as uh, the master, let him become the servant. And so you 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 sit at the feet of your brother pastors and you learn from them, and they learn from you, and it's a wonderful thing, and and you grow together, and uh, that that really is uh, that has helped me tremendously um, in in uh, in the ministry that that God's given me. Um, to be able to get together with other pastors and learn from them. Well, I think, you know, that, that's one of the big dangers of, of um, academic learning, mm-hmm. is that mm-hmm. you think you know more than you do. I remember uh, when I first started out in journalism, I mean, I, I'd been through all the college, I have degrees in mass communications, I've got the master's in journalism, the whole thing, and boy, I tell you, I hit the... Uh, <laughs> I hit the real world, and I learned yeah. more in three months than I had the prior five years. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you—I mean, that's a great analogy too with journalism. I mean, you can learn all the skills, but if you don't—if you don't use it, then you lose it. You know, oh yeah. You can, if you're not paying attention to the news, to what's going on, if you're not exercising your mind and your judgment to be able to assess this stuff, oh yeah, comment like, on it. Um, They'll tell you, for example, about how to cover a traffic accident, but they don't tell you what you do when you go out there and you see a dead child. Mm. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, they can't give you the stomach for it. And yet, at the same time, the Bible, you know, with the, to go back to the, the, um, duties of the pastor, the scriptures do prepare you for that. Um, now obviously, you need the experience. God works through both. Um, you know, Luther talks about the three things that make a theologian are prayer, meditation, which is study, study of God's word, and also contemplating God's word. And then, and then the last thing he says are trials. Um, and that is experience. You know, you actually see. So when you see that person dying or a child dying, you know, terrible things happening and you have to deal with them. Yeah. Um, that's, uh, you're exercising that those tools which are given you which um as you point out you know that that's true even in in secular uh, uh professions um like journalism and such so so yeah i mean if you're not if you're not using it if you're not consulting with colleagues you know mm-hmm. um then you're not gonna know what you're doing after a while you can hang your you can hang your degrees up in your office and and as your trophies, but they don't really mean anything if you're not putting them to good use. So, <laughs> that's true. One, you know, you mentioned you mentioned you know academics and how that, that's the danger of academics. And I think one of the one of the other dangers of academics is being academics for the sake of acad- academia, for the sake of kind of uh, finding that uh, making that good point that no one else made. And that's kind of you know that's kind of the name of the game. Often you know you you you, you don't. As an academic, you don't want to simply be redundant. You want to you want to do original research. You want to offer something, bring something to the table that is that people can can use, um, and uh, do research that other people have not done. And that's all good. That's all. Uh, and I and I've had the privilege to participate in that. You know, in the theological academia um, to an extent, and and I hope to continue to to do that. Um, but at the same time, if if your goal is simply to to be recognized by others. Um, and your goal is not to serve God and his life-giving truth um, for the sake of his people, well, then it's all in vain. 
Well, Pastor, I'm afraid we've run out of time. This has been a fascinating discussion. Remember that pastors also need pastors. You've been listening to Last Talk. The pastor is Anna. Today's guest pastor was Andrew Poise of St. Paul and Holy Trinity Lutheran Church in Iowa. I want to give special thanks to Pastor Emeritus Fritz Bowie for letting me use his recording of All Glory, Lord, and Honor as a theme song for Let's Talk. The pastor is in. Pastor Bowie's music and books are available at Amazon.com. listening to The Pastor is In, a weekly chance to chat with a pastor. Your support is vital for this program to continue. To learn about giving opportunities, call Mary at 314-996-1518. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting The Pastor is In on Worldwide KFUO.